Welcome to Woke and Wired, a new conversation about expanded consciousness and entrepreneurship. Happy 2019. I'm your host, Xenia, and I welcome you back to the Woke and Wired podcast. If you're here for the first time, I welcome you, and I'm excited to bring you into this conversation where consciousness, mindfulness, spiritual development, abundance mindset, all these things that I've personally been always drawn to and exploring and studying all over the world, they come together with my other desire to have financial freedom, to be a successful businesswoman, to travel the world, creating impact and doing work that matters and that is creating positive impact on people's lives. I think there is a way to have both at the same time, and I think they are more connected than we tend to think in this modern society. And I also think that social media and technology is an incredible tool that can be that bridge between the two, that can help us manifest exactly the lifestyle that we want and more, connect us to the people we never thought we could be connected and open doors that we didn't even know exist. So welcome to this place of possibility where every week I have conversations with inspiring people from the world of wellness, business, and so many really other fields. This year is going to be a special one. I'm going to have a variety of guests for you guys. And also from time to time, I release solo episodes where I share things from my own personal experience of running several businesses all of which stem from me posting pictures on Instagram and doing things that bring me joy. And I'm just coming back from a DIY retreat in Wyoming, which I thought is the most beautiful state I've, I've ever seen in the U.S. If anyone's from there, please holler at me and DM me on Instagram at WokenWired. I want to hear from you. And I am just so connected to this idea of instead of doing many things and hustling nonstop, just simplifying and focusing on the things that are of the highest impact and also prioritizing my health, my mental health, my physical health, and my spiritual health. That's where I'm at right now. I'm in a bit of a hibernation mode. I'm back in Brooklyn, but I haven't really told anyone. I like to do this thing where I spread out my social media postings so that I have some time to land back home before everyone knows I'm back home. If you like this trick, try it. This week's guest is Sahara Rose. And I know that you're going to enjoy this conversation as much as I did because you're going to find both ease from learning about not being so energetically involved with your social media. And hey, that's coming from someone who grew her social media to 130,000 followers very quickly. And also, at the same time, Sahara shares how she, a very successful online course business with not a lot of systems in place. So in this episode, you're going to find out how to actually make it doable, how to stop postponing it, and how to not be stopped by technology to launch something that you know is going to benefit the world. If you're not familiar with Sahara Rose, she is the best-selling author of Eat, Feel, Fresh, a plant-based Ayurvedic cookbook, and also the author of Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda. She is called 
as a leading voice for the millennial generation into the new paradigm shift. And hey, that's by Deepak Chopra, no big deal, who wrote her foreword on both her books. Sahara hosts the Highest Self podcast, which is ranked as the number one top podcast in the spirituality category on iTunes. She is an abundance set mindset expert and guides people to have their path to freedom, joy, and purpose. If you enjoy this episode, the best thing you can do to support it is to share it with a friend who you think might be moved and inspired by it as well. And if you're so called, you can pause right now to go to the podcast app and leave a rating and a review to the podcast so that more people can have access to these actionable tips and wisdom to really elevating your life in a way that's both grounded in reality and business and money and at the same time in personal development and spirituality. As always, I would love to see what resonates with you from this episode. Take a screenshot of you listening to it and tag at Woke and Wired on Instagram or Twitter, same name. I would love to hear from you. Okay, guys, I have Sahara Rose here, and we have such a funny story of how we met. We were Instagram friends probably five years ago, back when both of us were into vegan food and a lot of smoothie bowls and that kind of thing. And then I ran into Sahara at Lead With Love last fall. It's this amazing event that I'm actually going back to speak at this year. And Sahara was just hanging with Deepak, talking about her best-selling book, And I met her for the first time in real life. And it was one of these things when you follow someone for a long time, but you're still not sure. Like you might pass by them on the street and not know that that's them. Totally. And I'm glad we recognized each other and we talked. And it's interesting how since then we've had so many people in common and so many things in common. And I'm stoked to take our virtual relationship to the next level with this conversation. Yeah, I'm so excited too. And I do remember that like five years ago, we were going to meet for breakfast one day in New York. I think it was when you still like had your regular job. And then it was like at seven in the morning or something, I couldn't make it. But I do remember we tried. Right. Yeah. I remember I was so shocked when I got that message from you because it looked like you were in Bali. And I was like, wait, this girl is all about tropical vibes. What's she doing in New York? Is this real? Or is she like a, a bot? Fake <laughs> <laughs> Bali pictures. No, I was, I think it was like when I had just gotten back, I was actually going to move to New York when I had left Boston. And then I spent like a month there. I was like, I need trees. I can't live here. But I do love the energy of the city for sure. Mm. So I'm going to read out your Instagram bio out loud. Sure. Because that's the world we live in. And I find that there's so, it's so interesting how Instagram bios reflect so much of where we're at, or where we're going. So Sahara, yours says, Sahara Rose, Ayurveda author, a leading voice in the millennial generation. That's by Deepak Chopra, best-selling author, host of the Highest Self podcast. And there's a link to Abundance Mindset Masterclass. Mm-hmm. So a lot of things, Ayurveda, author, abundance, podcasting. What is it that you actually wake up and do every day? 
I really do all of the above. You know, every day is so different. I like to organize my days with the doshas, with the energies. So I'll have some days that are more creative days. Those are my vata days, which is air energy. And those are days that I'm writing, I'm doing, you know, more of the graphics and the visuals and the long-term thinking and getting into that creative space. I have other days that are very pitta, like today, where I'm like, you know, this task, that task, like getting all of the things done. And, and that's actually a few days of the week, but those are necessary to get into the creative spaces. And then I have a day of the week that's a kapha day where I'm just, you know, kind of self-caring and taking care of my body, going to a dance class, having an acai bowl and just nurturing myself. And I, so I don't have like a one schedule per day. I like to focus on one way that I'm going to feel that day. Got it. And so how, what has happened since we connected on Instagram years ago and you were kind of floating around the world into vegan food? What has transformed since then? Yeah. I mean, you know, during that time, I had this vision to write an Ayurveda book. So a long story short, basically, I had a lot of health problems. These health problems led to me going to so many different types of doctors. I went to gastroenterologists, endocrinologists, because I wasn't getting my period for two years. I had really bad IBS. I had really bad anxiety, insomnia. So I was prescribed IBS medication, birth control, antidepressants, everything you can imagine, but no one was getting to the root of this problem. And I I had been traveling. I wanted to become an international human rights lawyer and work for the UN. That's really what I wanted to do. And while I was volunteering in India, teaching health and sanitation in the slums, I got really sick there and my health very much was deteriorating. I was fainting all the time. My bones were constantly injured. And that's when I decided to visit an Ayurvedic doctor because I had heard of Ayurveda before in my health coaching program, but I didn't really take it seriously, especially because I was a vegan. But the moment she saw me, she said, Beta, which means daughter in Hindi. She's like, oh, Beta, you're too pretty to never have baby. And I'm like, what? How does she know that I'm not getting my period, that my body's infertile? And not just that, I found out I was at risk of Alzheimer's and osteoporosis as well because my body was not getting the nutrients that I needed. And the cause was my diet. It was the raw vegan diet that I was eating. And the things that I was doing to try to make myself super healthy were actually what was holding me back from achieving that health. So I still did not want to follow Ayurveda because of the suggestions were super old school, lots of ghee, rice. A lot of it just didn't make sense for me in today's time, especially because like, I very much am a believer in science and where's the research? And I couldn't find that with the Ayurveda stuff. But at the same time, I had never had someone describe what was going on with me physically, mentally, emotionally, as well as this Ayurvedic doctor and this book and all of the texts had said a vata imbalance, too much air in the system. It was like I was reading my autobiography. So I was like, okay, well, they really have me figured out, but I'm not loving all their suggestions. So how can I take Ayurveda and blend it into just modern and today's contemporary world? So I decided I'd write a book about it, even though I had never met an author before. And that's when I really dove into studying everything there is to know about Ayurveda. I lived in India for two years, became an Ayurvedic practitioner, but at the same time was constantly modernizing it. And really it started first for myself. I actually had so much shame around learning about Ayurveda because here I was a raw vegan blogger learning about like cooked food. So 
I didn't, I was just doing it to heal myself. And then as my body changed and not just my body, but my personality, and I was able to finish things and not just float around and try all these different things and not really follow through, which is a very big indicator of Vata air and balance. I was able to follow tasks through, have, have organization, have discipline, have routine, these things that I always felt like, oh, that's, that's like so controlling. And I don't, I don't want to live in a routine and a structure. I just want to do whatever I want all day. Well, those were the things that actually made my visions manifest to reality. And so I wrote the book and then eventually I found a literary agent two years later. And then I got hired by Penguin Random House to write the official Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, which is a very serendipitous story in itself. And all of this time and this work I had spent on writing and like literally I lost like my relationship with my family, my romantic relationship, all of my friends, everything I ever had, because everyone thought I was so crazy to be dedicating my life to study this ancient healing science that no one had heard about. So I think that because that total level of dedication was there, that is what made everything else happen. So then when I was hired to write Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, I had the knowledge and the willpower to write a 400-page textbook in two months. And then I pitched another book, and then I wrote that book, and then I wrote another book, and I wrote another book. And you know, I think that's what happens when you're in Kriya, and you're in flow, and you're in alignment with your divine truth. So I'm so grateful for those years that I wasn't sure, because they are what gave me the insight and the knowledge to make me sure today. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> so it sounds incredible. And I'm sure someone listening, first of all, let's address this myth right away. Can you explain your descent and what you have to do with India? Yeah. Well, I actually did find out I'm about half Indian. I didn't know that before. What? Yeah. I actually thought, so my parents are Persian from Iran. So I always thought I was like just Persian and I got a DNA test and I'm like more Indian than I am Persian. I'm like, That's okay, crazy. that makes sense. But I actually had no idea that I was Indian when I was doing this. I was just so drawn to India from the time I was a kid. I would like eat with my hands and watch Bollywood movies and like cry. And I remember I would go to Iran and they're like, does your daughter have all Indian friends? And my mom's like, no. They're like, why does she talk in an Indian accent? And I was just always so drawn to there. And it was and until I recently took this ancestry test that was like, no, you're straight up more Indian than you are Persian, that I was like, it's so amazing how the body knows. So yeah, I'm firstly Indian, then Persian, and then like some Italian too. You guys should all get DNA tests. They're very fascinating. What, would, what did Deepak say when he found out you're Indian? Oh, I mean, I'm not like, hey, Deepak, guess what? I'm Indian. He's like pretty much like, yeah, like for him, he's so past culture and barriers and even doshas. He's, he sees all humans as one, as an interconnected. So for him, that, that wouldn't mean anything to him. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So I want to rewind because in those couple of minutes that you described your story, it sounds like, oh my gosh, it just like such flow and alignment. But the question is, how did you get into that state of flow and alignment? And, you know, when you said you didn't know a single author, when you decided you were going to write a book. Where did this idea even arise from and where were you sourcing the courage to pursue it? So how do you align with that flow and how do you connect with that inner voice? Yeah. So for me, it came with, I wish that there was a modern approach to Ayurveda because I would follow it. So it's something that I personally needed. And I think that anything that we put out into this world that is true to us has to be something that we personally would benefit from, right? I wouldn't have a great idea for something I have like no idea about. That That's not what would come through. Ideas are chosen because you have the capacity to bring them 
to reality. So it started with me needing an Ayurveda book. Then it started with, okay, what if I, once I got the knowledge and was making things, just naturally I wanted to share it. So I started to share it like writing blog posts, things like that. And then I realized, you know, all the time, all I'm doing is just writing and writing and writing. Why don't I compile this together in a book? And then I thought, okay, I'll just write an ebook for like $2 on my website that has like, you know, 10,000 followers at that time. And then from there, I started to write 100 pages, 500 pages, 1,000 pages, 2,000 pages, because I was so hungry for this knowledge. I just wanted to learn more about Ayurveda. Like it was like relearning a language of of my soul. And that is what pushed me through. I mean, I would literally just stay up all night, just going through the old ancient texts and reading about them and then seeing, oh, I read this study about the different genotypes and how that has to do with, and the different, the different brain types and how that's related to the dosha. So I just started to, you know, you know, when you get obsessed with something, it's like all you do, but it got to a point that that's when I, when my family saw I wasn't going to go down this path of going to law school anymore. And, and then my ex saw all I was doing is talking about Ayurveda. That's when things got really tough. And that's when I had to be faced with the decision of choosing my own path or choosing the path that my family or friends wanted me to go through. And it actually was, that was the most difficult time because I felt a lot of guilt about wanting to live my own life. Like again, my parents are, mom is a refugee and dad is an immigrant. So they literally risked everything to come to this country. And for them to see that their daughter is studying some like what they believe to be like archaic health system and not going to law school didn't make sense for them. So that's actually why I left for Bali because I was in such a constant feud with my family that would became extremely verbally abusive that I couldn't be around them all the time because I was constantly every day hearing you're a loser, you're a failure, you're a disgrace, you're the scum of the earth because I was studying Ayurveda. So I had to separate myself from my family because it was the only way I could have the strength enough to just continue. And even before my book came out, I genuinely thought like, okay, I guess once this book comes out, I'm just going to have to find like a normal job. I'm, my parents kept telling me to go become a real estate agent. And I remember I was like, I guess I'm going to become a realtor after this book comes out because I don't really know because I'm not making money off this book. Guys, the publishers really do not pay you a lot of money. And then once the book came out, you know, I kept on just trying to promote it as much as I could and, and get on podcasts and get on everything and really be the spokesperson of this. So it really just comes from your own drive. And then also, I think we get into these situations where you choose between that thing that you want to do, or you have to give it up to please someone else. And a lot of people give it up to please their conditioning, their surroundings, and then it will forever be a regret. And I knew that it would hurt me way more to not do this and to live the rest of my life resentful of my family than to do this. And, you know, I was at a point okay with actually not having a relationship with anyone and literally just living in a jungle by myself in Bali. I actually had to get to that point that I was like, for a year, I just texted the word alive to my mom because any conversation past that point would become abusive. So I had to basically choose this path over anything else. And I think that that's what, when this is all you have, you're going to give it your all, if that makes sense. Right. This is such a powerful lesson of persevering and really trusting your gut against all odds. And it's interesting. I just released an episode today on the podcast 
with Donnie Epstein, who is the founder of Network Chiropractic and Tony Robbins' personal energy healer. And the one thing he talks about is how comfort and being comfortable is equal to slow death and that it really does take us getting uncomfortable and stepping into the unknown to really expand and take our life to extraordinary. Absolutely. It's so... So true. And I think that most of us, and especially those of us who have a lot of kapha, earth energy, we choose comfort because it's easier for us to stick with what is known. And oftentimes we say, oh, well, you know, my job's okay. My boyfriend's okay. My house is fine. And just because it's fine doesn't mean it's not the optimal choice, but to get to your optimal choice, to even know what that is, you're going to have to go through basically walking through the wilderness and, and with your machete in hand and you have no idea what's in front of you, but you have to just keep on, you know, knocking down your own path. Right. So what did you find in Bali? In Bali, I found space. That's really what I needed. I needed space base from my family, from everyone around me that had known me so I could die and come back to life. And that's essentially what happened. I, the former version of me passed away and I could look back and see what were the things that I believed were part of me, but were actually passed down beliefs, fears, conditioning, For example, if Persians always would say, if you like a guy, ignore him, like be as hard to get as possible. Guys don't like girls who show interest. And a lot of people, you know, they tell you, I play hard to get whatever. So I just remember thinking about that because, you know, I realized in a pattern in my life is all of the men that I would be with were ones that I would purposely like try to push away. And what kind of testament to that is like the guys I end up with are the ones who like don't listen to my cues. Like that is not a good way to attract people that you want. And and then I just had a problem with like just people being too close with me. And I felt like I needed to have separation and boundaries. And and then in Bali, everyone is just so open. They're like staring at each, other, each other's eyes for like eight hours at a time. And it was so uncomfortable for me. So it wasn't like I was on an eat, pray, love, like romantic retreat. I lived in an Airbnb with a Balinese local family that I worked for so I could stay with them for free because I had zero money. And I would cook for them. I would take care of the kids in the village. I would like teach them. I would be like, you should take this avocado and cacao and make pudding. So we would have fun too, but I wasn't on a retreat or anything like that. I couldn't have because I wasn't making money. And all I would do is just write this book about Ayurveda, like for at least 12 hours a day. Wow. So yeah, that was actually exactly where, what I wanted to ask you next is how were you finding the ability to even fly to Bali? You know, if you were spending so much time studying Ayurveda and really answering this call from your life's purpose, really, how were you paying the bills? So was it mostly exchanges or how did that work out? Yeah. So luckily I had become a health coach when I was like 21. So I had some clients that I was health coaching with and that was enough to make me about you know a thousand dollars a month, which is ample money in Bali. My place was like $10 a night and my food was no more than $5 a day. And I would do these online consultations there. So I kept on working and I bought a one-way flight there and then a one-way flight back. So, I mean, guys, if you really want to take time off to think, go to Bali, you could live a really inexpensive life. Right. Done that. Yeah. <laughs> so you were writing blog posts and that sort of intuitively became a book at some point. 
how, what actions did you take once you had that manuscript and you were compiling it? How did you even know what are the next steps? How do I get in front of people? How do I publish it? Yeah. So my original goal was just to self-publish it because I had no idea how I would ever even find a literary agent. So I went on, now it's called upwork.com, but back then it was called something else. I don't know if you remember at least. Elance, right. So I would go on Elance and Fiverr and all of these other websites and I would find editors and, you know, I'd pay any money that I had to get editors. So I, I would hire editors and they would help me edit it. And then I hired, found this like young girl in college and kind of told her what I wanted and I would like, I got a subscription on shutterstock.com, like a 30 day subscription. And I downloaded like the maximum number of photos I could. And it's like the 20 photos a day. And so I got all the pictures from there. And I mean, I just like, so then I would have her put the pictures in and the person edit it. So I just sort of like curated this book and then I had it totally completed. So then when I had this book completed, I was like, God, this was like a lot of work to just become an ebook. And I really have this vision of seeing the book at Barnes and Nobles. Like that would have been such a dream for me because I've always been such a bookworm. My last name literally means author in Farsi, Hindi, Urdu, and Arabic. So it's always been a dream of mine to be an author. So I started to look up, okay, what is the publishing journey look like? I knew you had to get a literary agent. I emailed like a hundred literary agents. Obviously none of them got back to me. And then, then I moved to LA. I had to leave Bali because my relationship with my parents was so bad, but I also couldn't be near them. So my grandparents had a place in LA and I moved in with my grandparents. Cause again, I was just like, this, this will afford me some time to try to make this book happen. Mm-hmm. And then I met some people who had books and I asked them and then I was introduced to a literary agent. And then that literary agent was approached two days later by Penguin Random House because they were looking for someone to write The Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda. They already had an author who was four months into the six-month journey, but it was too much work. It's a very specific format. So she quit. So they were basically looking for someone start to finish to write this book. And she pitched them to me. They said, she's too young. No one knows her, blah, blah, blah. I was 24. And you did have a platform, at least Instagram then, right? Right. But, you know, for these publishers, they like, they don't really know. And for them, age is a, a big thing. So they said no. And she's like, well, why don't you just check out her writing style? So they asked me if I were to write a table of contents, what would I write? And the table of contents is a very specific process. It's like not just a table of contents, but for people who want to write a book, they they want to know how you would structure each chapter, how you would break down the paragraphs. And especially for something like an idiot's guide, which has specific page numbers per chapter, number of points you have to reach. It's like almost like a math problem when you're looking at it. So I had a week to do that and I did it that day. I just went at it. I channeled source and it came through and I sent it back at the end of the day. And then the next day they said, okay, you have a week to write the first chapter. We want to see if you can do the tone of voice of the Idiot's Guide series. So I spent the whole day at Barnes and Nobles reading every Idiot's Guide I possibly could, went home, spent all night writing this first chapter and then sent it back to them. And then I was hired to write the book. So I think that anyone is able to do it. You just need the passion, but also the work ethic. And I think that's the conversation that is less sexy. We're like, oh, I manifested this, manifested that. Like, yes, I, in some way, manifested the opportunity of the agent looking for that book to come to my agent. But 
I prepared myself and, you know, a lot of people, when they see an opportunity, they're like, oh, I'm not ready. And they, and they chicken out. But if you just go for it, like give it your all as if it's happening and not looking at, I don't want to spend the whole day and take the day off because I don't know if it's going to work out or not. Just give it your all. And even just in that, even if it's not for that book, they will consider you for other books. And now, honestly, for anyone who wants to write a book, I would self-publish it. That's another conversation. But the book landscape has changed so much that I'm glad I got the books published because it's been a goal of mine. But moving forward, I'm probably going to self-publish. Why is that? Because most people are buying books on Amazon. Like probably 90% of people, Barnes and Nobles is shutting down, sadly. There's- oh, that's so sad. I loved hanging out there. Me too. There's one here in LA, which, you know, I just wanted to go and take a picture of my book on the new release table, but I was like, no one's going to drive here and and get the book. So you can just self-publish a book, put it on Amazon, have full ownership of everything in the book, keep 70% of it. Whereas a publisher, like I get paid $1 a copy and that will be after the book sells 20,000 copies, then I get paid $1 a copy. So it's like, I made zero money on Eat Feel Fresh because the $20,000 I got, I spent to go to India and take the photography. Which by the way, looks insane. Thank you. Yeah. So it's something like this book writing process with a publisher. It's something that you do because you love, but honestly, you can just do it yourself. And you're going to be spending that money anyways, if you want to like go to India or like do something like that. And you can, you don't have to wait a year. It takes a year for a book to be done and then to be published, which by then you're going to be onto something else. So, and I think that this opens it up because now you don't have to wait for someone to choose you. You can just choose yourself and go for it. Okay. So that was the myth of being published by a respected publisher. That's busted. Yes. Let's bust some more myths. Tell me about having a top rated podcast in the spirituality category. Yeah. So the podcast, I mean, I literally still to this day, I have the $16 microphone that I'm talking to you on. I just typed in headset on Amazon and I bought the first one I saw and I still use it. (laughs) It's been like a year and a half. It's called Logiset, guys. And we're going to link it in the show notes because your sound is amazing. People keep saying that. I'm like, it's literally just type in headset on Amazon. It's the first thing that comes out. Hilarious. And it's funny because I've tried, I've bought like this Yeti, like $100 mic and it was like, was horrible. And I've tried other mics and like, this is just the best. So I keep it really simple. The podcast episodes that do the best are when I just like was on a walk and I come home and I'm like, let me just think about this topic out loud. And then I'll just kind of free flow talk about it. I don't really have a point that I'm trying to make. I just sort of hash out the sides and vocalize it. And again, for anyone that wants to start a podcast, like Google how to start a podcast, buy the $16 microphone and start it tonight. I think that we overthink things. We wait for our branding, this, that, like go on fiverr.com, pay $5 or go on Canva. I, I did it myself and it's so simple. And then when you are yourself and you're just having conversations that people aren't having that are like super curated and you know you sometimes listen to these podcasts and it's like the same thing over and over again it's like okay yeah we get it when something fresh and real and authentic i think people resonate with that more totally and i'm very inspired by you in that because i have so many insanely inspiring and moving conversations i have pretty much every day i have so many incredible people around me and that's the reason i started the podcast and And then I realized that for me, it's also a way of hiding behind other people's voices and perspectives. So I just yesterday actually released my first solo episode 
And love it. it took me like really doing my ritual, my ceremony, connecting to that source and getting to a space of being a clear channel so the information can come through me and there's not even space for being stopped by ego or thoughts or whatever it is, limiting beliefs. So it's I find it fascinating how you have found this way to tap into it. And I've listened to your podcast and it does sound very channeled, like there's not even space for thinking. It's it's purely source and it's always empowering and inspiring. And at the same time, you just share so generously your your tips on on how you do things and how you run business and money mindset. So what is your ritual or or what's your way of getting into the space where you do feel like a pure channel? What are some practices you do every day or maybe you have a ritual you do before you record your podcast? Yeah. Most of the time when I record the podcasts, are they're not when I've planned it. I don't have like, okay, Tuesday, five o'clock, like the same way if you have a guest, you have to plan it around a time. The times that I do those are just most of the time before I'm on a walk. And while I'm walking, you know, you just randomly start thinking about things. And not that I'm trying, like I'm going to go walk to think about an episode to podcast about, but I'm just walking. And then sometimes I think about a subject that's in my mind, like, the doing and being and how to balance that or whatever else, abundance. And then as I'm having this conversation in my mind, then suddenly it feels like this almost word vomit, like all of these ideas are coming through. And that's when I know I've tapped into some sort of channeled state. You can call it the Akashic Records. You can call it being in flow, whatever else. And then I have to pretty much run home to get on a mic and say it before I lose it. So it's like, it's something I'm like, totally like, I can't do a ritual. I wish I could and they control it, but it's more like, I'm like, Oh fuck, I need something to record this. Or like I used to at the very beginning when I was podcasting, because I wasn't sure if I would be able to say everything. And I always had before identified myself as a writer above a speaker. So I would like sit in front of my computer and, and write everything but then when the time it was time to edit it, or I mean, to record it, then I was like kind of reading and looking off of that. And then it just wasn't sounding as good. It sounded just more like I was trying to remember to say that point that I had thought of. So now I don't do that at all. I just try to record when I'm in that mindset. And I think that for me, it's movement. When I'm moving my body, that's when my mind can just wander. But when I'm just like sitting and working and I'm answering emails or I'm even on other people's podcasts, like I'm not going to go into a channeled state immediately. It's when I take that pause with the movement for me, because I have a lot of Shakti, the feminine energy that seated meditations don't work for me. I don't do any seated meditation practice at all. If I'm going to meditate, it's through dance, walking, shaking, doing something physical. I love shaking. Yes. So with you. So how, Sahari, is your life different now? You know, t- let's t- go back to when you were in Bali. You didn't really have money, but it sounded like you it felt aligned and you knew it was aligned. So it didn't even matter that much. And now that you have these published books, you have these connections with, you know, top spiritual leaders, you have a top rated podcast. How is your life different if at all? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's different. Like I live in a different city, but I really feel like the same person. I really, when I would even like read things I write, I wrote when I was a kid. It's so funny. I was at 
at home, the house I grew up in, in in Boston. And I was going through my old stuff and I found this like Valentine's Day card that I had given my parents when I was in kindergarten. And it just says, I'm not who you think I am. Like, that's it. (laughs) I was like, I was like, I wonder how they reacted to seeing this. Like, okay, Sarah, thank you. Like, you know, what did I say back? So I think I've always really been the same person. Like, yes, I can buy house plants now. I definitely couldn't have that. I have an apartment now. Didn't, didn't have that before, but the essence is the same. I do think having money has really changed things in my life because when I didn't have money in Bali, it's not so much of a big deal because you're around other people who don't have money. But when I was here, I was like, oh, I want to go to this music festival. I want to go to this yoga class. I want to eat at Cafe Gratitude every day. And when I saw all of the things like to live the kind of lifestyle that's very affordable in Bali in in America or Los Angeles is very, very expensive. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to skimp out and like not drink coconut water and green juice anymore. So I need to figure out this whole money thing. So then I started to do tons of one-on-one coaching, but then I was really burning myself out because I was like, repeating myself seven times a day. And by the time it was the end of the day, I literally just wanted to crash. And then I started to, you know, I'd read these online marketing blogs, but it felt so masculine and confusing and not appealing. But at the same time, I kept coming back to this idea of like passive income and making money when you sleep. Like that sounded really appealing to me, but not the way that it was being, you know, handed in and and delivered. So I would read more about that stuff and then apply little things to my blog. And then finally, I made my first online program like uh, four and a half years ago. And then from there, I started to make different online programs and just all the things that I would constantly have to repeat people like teaching about the doshas, digestion, the seasons, et cetera. I would just record myself in front of my laptop, speaking it out, and then add that to the platform, which is called Teachable. So that's how I created my first online program. And then through there, I started to learn more about passive income. And that has definitely changed things because now I can donate money to charities. I can travel whenever I want. I went back to Bali for the first time after, you know, four years this summer. And I like stayed in an awesome hotel. I didn't even know hotels like this existed. And I got engaged. And, you know, it's such a, yeah, and such a different reality. But at the same time, I feel like the same person, just like the settings have, have shifted a little. So you mentioned online programs. That's something I've dabbled into. And actually, my boyfriend, Eric, and I Crystal Criminals, we created a course on how to use crystals to develop your intuition and to create mm-hmm. ritual in your daily life. And that course is out there. We're super proud of it, but we both are so in our other projects that we haven't even had time to promote it. So when you don't mm. promote something, it doesn't sell. And totally. like to me, it's like, well, do I need to hire someone to run a marketing funnel for me? How you know that and that's really for me the thing that has always stopped me from doing online courses. Is this idea mm-hmm. that I'm going to either have to manage another person or just dedicate my whole day to writing emails and setting up funnels? So are you still a one-woman team or do you have someone helping you? And how did you figure that out in the beginning four and a half years ago? Yeah, it's definitely like a conversation. It's something we tug up forever. So... Okay. Well, first with the online programs, there's so many different strategies you can do with an online program. The first one I did, which I recommend for everyone for their first online program is I ran the whole thing live. So really it was just 
four live webinars. I did not have any kind of platform for it. And I would just have, I just made a landing page where they signed up and they paid. And then I would send them each week an email that had the link for the webinar. And then I would email them the replay. And since this one was about killing your candida, I would send a little like herbs and, and recipes and stuff like that. So it was all through email and live webinar. And that is such a good strategy. Now my abundance mindset um, program is going to be like that again, because people want the live. People don't, they don't care how much information is pre-recorded on something because we've at this point now, four or five years later, we've signed up for online programs and we don't follow through because there's no one like on top of us making us follow through. So the idea that there's a group of people meeting live and I'm either going to have to be there or I'm going to miss out, that's what makes people show up. So it's more helpful for them. You can answer their questions live. And then for you, you're just promoting it once and then you run it live. And then you're like, hey, if you want to do this again, I'm going to be running it again in, in six months. So you can wait until then. So I would for sure for your crystal program and for any program, run it live. People love it. It's going to be easier. You don't, anything that's going all the time, that's for sale all the time, it's going to end up on people's wish lists and then they're never going to purchase. Right. And for the live, what is the website you use to run that? I used like, it was called YouTube Live. I don't know if they still do YouTube Live, but it was like, I think now it's bought by Google Hangouts. So it's like a free webinar platform that anyone can use, either YouTube Live or Google Hangouts. I'm not sure who owns what today. So I would just send them that link. I used MailChimp, which was also free. Send them the link and they'd show up there. And then I'd get a little YouTube link and then I'd send them the YouTube link after. And I had no YouTube followers. So it's not like anyone was going and finding it. Or you can make a new YouTube account if in case you do have a YouTube following, so no one finds it. And then by the time the four weeks was done, I deleted them all. I put them all on private. So you don't have to risk other people seeing it without paying. So what I'm getting from this is that, Tahari, you're just like not freaking stopped by any technology or how things should be. You just put things out there and you let people get value from them and you're unstoppable. Oh, I mean, I think it's like we could spend the rest of our lives like trying to master all the technologies and how they work. And sometimes it's so premature. Like I remember like three or four years ago, I hadn't had an online program. Like I need to buy Kajabi because Kajabi seems like such a great platform. I'm like, no, I haven't even made a dollar from online programs, let alone to spend a thousand dollars off the software. It's not like buying a software is going to give me an online business. So really just with the free, and that's what I love teaching people, like the free stuff available to you you can create a profitable online course with, and you don't have to teach about something that's like even business related. Like you can teach about knitting. You could teach about Ayurveda. You could literally teach about anything. And just knowing these little basic systems, you can really quit your job and just focus on it full time, which is pretty rad. Right. You could probably teach a course on the best lines from all the idiots guides books since you've read all of them. Oh yeah, for sure. What was your favorite one? Do you remember? <laughs> there was an idiot's guide to plant-based nutrition. I really liked that one. Mm-hmm. Juliana Heaver was her was her name. Did you read any of the other ridiculous ones or just I stuck mostly to the health and wellness ones just so I could because they were the more most related to me, but they, they have them in every subject. And I mean I wouldn't have even known that there were like actual humans writing these books had I not written one myself. I always thought it was like some machine just comes up with information. That's hilarious. So here's my question. You know, when you say you launched these programs, there were people who were buying them. You had cultivated a community. And, you know, I've seen you transition from being a vegan blogger to starting to share more about Ayurveda and now sharing about everything that you do. 
So how was that transition for you in the world of social media and how did your community take that? Yeah. So I think the hardest part was when I changed my Instagram name. So my Instagram name for years was at eat, eat, feel fresh. Yeah. So, and you know, back then, like no one was really using their name. Like we are breakfast criminals. Like everyone had like a brand name they were behind, but eventually got to this point that I was just not even posting about food whatsoever. And I remember a few people messaging me like, you should consider changing your name because like you just don't post about food. (laughs) Right. So, but it was then I kind of felt like, oh my God, I need to keep this thing up and post about food, even though I wanted to talk about spirituality because that was really like I was going through massive spiritual growth and that's what I was posting about. But then I felt like, oh, I need to just make recipes and take pictures of them. And, you know, it's not like you go and order something and you take that picture. I would like get lighting and set up Mm. fruits around it. And like, it was taking like four hours for a photo and it was not the best use of my personal time. I wasn't loving it anymore the way that it was when I started. So my book had already gone to print and on the back of these like 30,000 copies of of Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda says, at Eat Feel Fresh. I even had a video with Deepak, the first video with him that I'm like, hey, follow me at Eat Feel Fresh. So I was like, I can't change. I wanted to change my name, but I felt like I can't because I'm going to lose everyone who finds me for my book and who finds me through Deepak. And I have so many links on all my work that's taking them to Eat Feel Fresh. And But it just kept coming on my mind, kept coming on my mind. And then I was just like, listen, if I don't do it now, once my book comes out, I'm it's going to be so hard to change it. So I'm just going to go for it. And Sahara Rose was taken by like a dog. (laughs) I've I've tried messaging and and buying it. The dog will not take it. (laughs) So I had to make, so I was like, how am I going to use this name, but not just have a name? So what came through was I am Sahara Rose. And now a lot of people are doing the I am thing, but really it was like this affirmation that I had to claim myself and who I am. Like, yes, I am Sahara Rose. I'm not hidden behind this this recipe or behind this ingredient or behind this piece of knowledge, but I myself am an individual. And I put on my Instagram, I'm like, listen, this Instagram is now going to have a lot more me in it. And if you're not interested in that, like you can totally unfollow and I understand. And there's a lot of great food bloggers out there. And I thought like half my following is going to unfollow me for that. And I actually now have grown so much. And that was really only last May, a year and a half ago that I changed my name. And I'm so grateful that I did because now I'm not stuck to being a brand, being a label. And we as humans, we can't be brands because we're multifaceted and we're always changing. And this is like the hard thing with social media marketing, because by the time you're known for something, then you've changed as an individual. So it's like, how do you keep up this brand when you are changing? And at least when it's by your name, then you're not, you're not stuck to anything. Right. Unless you're like me and you've changed your name over the years. You've <laughs> I've changed. Like changed it. I had my moments where I would wake up and I'd be like, oh, now I'm going to go under Shira and all the press would be under that name. So I stopped doing that. That was really silly, but I totally get what you're saying. And I understand I'm actually in the process of streamlining and creating one website that features all my different projects, the podcast, Breakfast Criminals, Welcome Wired, Crystal Criminals, everything I do so that Anyone who feels connected to my work and wants to learn more can do it in one place instead of having to do like investigative report of what's going on here. Totally. And the people who are interested in you, they want to know about all sides of you. They want to know what you eat for breakfast and what crystals you use and how you run your business because they also have those same facets of their life. So I think we think like, 
oh my God, the vegan people only eat vegan food and they don't do anything else with their lives. Like, no, they also run businesses and have dreams and relationships and all of these other avenues. So I think people like to interact with humans more than they do with brands. Right. I totally agree. So with your social media, with the crazy growth that has happened for the past year, what do you think, what were the either breaking points or what do you attribute it to? Yeah. So I think putting out obviously good content above all, before I used to just repost things a lot. Oh, I like this quote. I like this. I like that. And there's a lot of these these great Instagrams that are just reposted content, but you know, you don't even know who they are. You've never even seen a, a picture of them. A lot of the spirituality podcast Instagrams are like that. So I stopped reposting any content. All of the content on my Instagram is stuff that I've made or my picture. So it's not something that you can just like go get somewhere else. So that has been an important thing. I teach a lot in my Instagram. It's not just pictures of me like happy Friday drinking a matcha. (laughs) You know, if I was like a model with like an amazing ass, like maybe that would work. But it's people who are also following me to get educated. So I'm teaching them about Ayurveda, about dry brushing and oil pulling, and then also about abundance. And and then I'm also sharing stories of my life, of my engagement, of, you know, fears I've had. So it's like a a mix of, of everything. But I think for people who want to grow their social media, yeah, like now I have an actual sort of strategy in mind. Before I was like, oh, it's 2 p.m. I haven't posted. Scroll. Oh, that's good. Let me repost. Let me repost that. Like that's not a strategy. Now, at least for like the week, I know what's going to be posted. I just posted in a thing called later.com. It's free. And then I'm just posting it off there. So I kind of know what's coming next. I do a lot of things like shit bot to say, shit pit to say, shit kafa say. So people are learning about, you know, the doshas in a fun way. And then I did a challenge with Deepak last year, and then I'm doing one with Kino Yoga this year. So I engage with people. I interact with people. I repost other people's stuff. Like it's not just like, this is the Sahara Rose channel and you will never see anything else. Like I'm interacting with other people and then they're going to interact with, like, we're going to do a giveaway. Like, I love that. And I think that people get so possessive over their feeds and their stories and it can like only be them. But the people who are growing are the ones who are sharing other people. And people like to see like, oh, who else are you friends with? Oh, let me follow them. They're not going to unfollow you if you tag someone else who may have like a more beautiful feed than you. This is all scarcity mentality that translates into money and social media and everything in our lives. So I just see it as like, I'm going to share people, support people, and they will do the same for me. Totally. So here's my quest in life that I want to hear your perspective on. It's something I am actually deep inside 100% sure of, yet I'm still on the outside always looking for stories and, and, oh yeah, uh, you know what I mean. (laughs) Totally. I have so many of those things. I'm like, so what do you think about this? In my mind, I'm like, I know the answer. (laughs) Your whole being is like, hey, I'm here. I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this for five years. So I know for sure that our energetic state affects how our message lands when we share it with people on social media. Social media is a tool for us to be more expressed, to create more, to expand more, to create a bigger impact. And I fully believe that whatever energetic state we're in and whatever our true intention behind posting something is, people subconsciously pick up on that. So what Mm -hmm. is your, as you knew, you shared that all your podcasts are channeled. So what is your experience with sharing on social media? Is it also channeled or how does that work for you? 
I wouldn't say that I'm like in a channeled state when I'm posting on my social media, especially because I do plan what I'm going to post for the week. So, and I post at the same time every day. So I wouldn't say like at that moment, I'm like super inspired and like it's showing up. But when I do create that content, when I do write that caption or make that picture or took that picture, I am in an inspired state for sure. It just may not be at that moment that I'm posting it. Got it. And do Mm -hmm. you notice that your energetic state reflects how your message lands with people, with social media being the example? Oh, for sure. Definitely. I think that it's so, so apparent. And, you know, it's so funny because it's like we kind of know these influencers, these people that we follow. We've never met them, but it's like, you know, you get things about them because you've built this like relationship with them. And you can tell like, you know, if one of them's having drama or this, it's it's so crazy, but it's like this weird reality TV cyber universe that we're all living in. And you're always picking up on other people's energy. And I do think that sometimes people do have a very beautifully curated feed. That does not mean they're a great person. So you can be confused. Some people that you meet on social media who are all high vibe, you meet them in real life and they're not like that. But then there are other people that you meet them and they're even more awesome in real life. So I think that if you're doing a good job with your social media, you're able to really portray who you are. But I think there's a lot of people who just like, they don't care. Like they just want to live their lives and not post everything on social media. I think there is this like, kind of competition right now of like, who can be the most vulnerable? Totally. Who can share like the shittiest thing that happened to them? Like the more you share <laughs> shitty things about yourself, the better you are at social sure. media. And it's almost like you don't owe anyone anything, you know? Like if if you really thought that you have to explain yourself to these people who don't even know you, like what is, like I see these people, they're they're their boyfriends cheated on them. They post about it on their story. Then they get back together. All their followers are like, why'd you get back together? And they're like having to explain themselves to these followers that they've never met. And I don't want that to be my relationship with social media. I don't want to be so honest that people feel like they have authority over how I can live my life. For me, it's an expression. It's a way for me to share knowledge and inspiration, but it's not my diary. It's not my friend that I go to when I have a real life problem that I need to address. I think if if you want to do that and that's your truth, go for it. But we don't realize like the repercussions later on, even energetically by putting everything out there. Like, you know, sometimes there's these influencers you don't know and you think about them all the time. You're like, oh, I wonder what they're doing this and that. And it's like, that's a, you know, a lot of energy coming your way and you do start to feel it. Like I started to get really sick at the beginning of summer, like exhausted, drained, tired, because all of this energy was coming my way and I wasn't setting up proper boundaries around myself that I was just letting people in. I was answering so many DMs every day. There was, I felt like there was no separation between me and the online me. It was just like with DMs, it's like people have your phone number all the time and are always texting you. Like that's literally what it feels like. And it was too much for me. So I had to really create a separation between me and social media. That has been way more my journey than to like try to be more authentic and more on there. And having the separation of like, this is what I'm going to plan. This is what I'm going to do. This is the inspiration I'm putting out there has allowed me to just become a better human off social media. And what did you do to set those boundaries? Yeah. So uh, it was really tough. I did this like meditation that I still do all the time that I meditate as if there is a moat around me, like, you know, a moat of water with the alligators in there. (laughs) And I 
meditate on this moat around me and people can't get through. And this was really powerful for me because I felt like I had to respond to every question that I got, every, you know, on Instagram, people have questions about everything. And I was spending like two, three hours a day only on DMs and it was really draining me. And I wasn't, I'm not going to be the kind of person you'd even want to ask questions to if I just responded to DMs all day. So I had to, well, one, I made it so people can't send me DMs unless I follow them. Like you can still do it through the profile. And that's something I recommend everyone does, even if you don't have a following, because it's too much information coming our way. I meditated on the moat around me. I really took a pause off social media. Like I would delete my Instagram for days at a time. I would catch myself and write down every time I wanted to get on my phone and just count how many times. Like it would be like 30 times a day. I'm by the elevator. I want to get on my phone. Now I got in my car. I want to get on the phone. Now I'm at a stoplight. I want to get on my phone. And now I got out of the car. I want to get on my phone and just realize like what an addiction that this was. And then separating myself, like, for example, if you have an alcohol addiction or any sort of addiction, what you do is you don't get mad at yourself. You just notice it. So I would just notice when I am, you know, writing something, I'm having a really tough time writing. So I go on Instagram story or what is this emotion that I'm trying to avoid right now that I'm going on Instagram. And then I go on Instagram and then I'm even more annoyed. So it's not the solution. So becoming aware. Right deleting the app and then getting, and then I was in Bali, which also allowed me to have just more time in, in nature. I would like purposely, if I was working, put my phone on the other side of the room or in the bathrooms, just so like it would be a hassle for me to wake up, to get up and go get it. I would make it hard for myself. And then that allowed me to just get better at it. And this is something that I probably should go do again right now, but we we can so easily fall back into the trap of becoming addicted to social media and becoming addicted to social media does not mean you are good at social media. Right. Oh my gosh. Such important reminders. Whenever I go on retreats, I, I have specific ones that I go on where I fully switch off my phone and don't go on social media at all. And that makes me so present to the fact how attached I am to the persona I've created for myself oh, yeah. online. And it's crazy. We all are like that. That's just today's world. So if we don't take that step away like you do, we just get crazy. Because it's like there's the you, there's the real Ksenia, and then there's the Ksenia of breakfast criminals, and there's one of Woked and Wire, and there's all these versions of you that don't really exist but are projected upon you. And it's this weird time that we're living in right now because we are living our lives while simultaneously branding our lives and retelling our lives. It's like we're writing our autobiographies <laughs> as we are living our lives and have not fully processed what is happening. And, um, you know, what I noticed was every time I was going through an experience, I would immediately start thinking about how am I going to share this yes, with other people? Done that. And I'm like, that is so, you know, I'm like, I'm at this Balinese water temple and all I'm thinking about is like, how am I going to talk about this on my podcast later? It's like, what the fuck? Like, let me just live in this experience without thinking about how I'm going to report it. And we have all become these like constant reporters and it takes us out of just being in that moment. Hell yeah. Oh my gosh. What a powerful reminder. So Sahara, I want to take it back to business for a moment. Can you give us a breakdown of what your business actually is? How much of it is courses, speaking, books, all of that? Yeah, for sure. So I would say 
most of, well, all of my business is online. I do live events and I don't really make money off of them. Most of the time you're with a studio and, you know, sometimes people think like, oh, if I do this big event, like even I'm doing this like retreat thing at Kripalu next summer and you really don't make that much money in these things. You do them more to connect with people. So I make all of my money from online I have my online programs and courses, which I do different master classes, which run for only one month each, and then they're retired. So I have the Abundance Mindset Masterclass right now, and then I have the six-week program, which teaches you how to create a passive income business. I have a nine network marketing business with doTERRA, which is, has been amazing. It's something I just started in, and it's like, slowly, like, I mean, very quickly going to actually surpass how much I'm paid with my online programs, which is pretty crazy to think about because that's just the power of, of this world that we're always communicating with each other. And then, yeah, just the massive, and then I'm affiliates for different programs, like my, this Ayurveda program, Joyful Belly and Stu for Integrated Nutrition, both programs that I've done. So I'm an affiliate. If people sign up with me, they got like a thousand to $1,500 off discounts and I have a course on dailyohm.com and it's all through really educating people. It's an online education business, but I, some people choose the model to have like one yearly course, like a B-school that's like, I don't know how much B-school costs, a few thousand dollars. And what Marie Forleo does is she pays $1,000 per affiliate, which is a very high affiliate. So that's why when B-School is like up and running, it's all you see on the internet, but then it goes away. So she's really focusing on that. My model right now is every month I'm kind of launching a smaller course and then I retire that. I like it better because my audience tends to be younger people, 25 to 32, that for them, they can afford a $20 course or a $30 course. And I just like to reach max number of people possible. It's just not really my business strategy to only target the elite. I really like to just make things affordable and accessible for people. So I'd rather have more things that are affordable than one thing a year that's really expensive. That makes so much sense. So you've chosen consciously not to do brand partnerships. Is that right? I have some on my podcast, but I don't do any on my Instagram. And why is that? It's just not worth it for me. It's not because for me, my Instagram is like, is a sacred space. I think of it as my altar and I would not want a picture of, I don't know, some random probiotics on my altar. Not that probiotics are a bad thing. I could take them, but I don't want them on my altar, you know? So for me, I want people when they look through my social media, they feel like they're in my home. They're in a sacred space. Every corner they turn, they're learning, they're experiencing, they're getting a better idea of who I am. And for me just for what I speak about and what I teach about, if it's like buy this and buy that, it just wouldn't be in alignment with with the real energy that I'm trying to put out there. I do have podcasts on my sponsor. They're all products that I use. Um, and I think podcasts are a good place for it because it's expected. Like every podcast has sponsors. But again, even with that, I really limit it to one or two sponsors an episode. I try not to overdo it. I'd rather sell my own products and my own programs than sell other right. people's. That makes so much sense. So you have a program on abundance coming out. What is the one thing people are missing about abundance mindset? Yeah. So I think that we are all running around with these beliefs that are from our great, 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 great grandparents and that they've just been passed on. And we're not aware of them, nor were our parents, nor their grandparents, and they've just been passed on. So let's say your family ancestrally dealt with famine 
Okay. So money was really scarce. Food was really scarce. Now we're finding with epigenetics, like you may have a really hard time with hunger pains. Like when you get hunger pains, like you're, you feel like your body's actually shutting down. And this is because of epigenetics. So we're passing along our beliefs, our story around money. Like as a kid, no one really explained to you, what is money? Money's energy. Money doesn't really exist. No one explained that to you. They're just like, oh, you want this toy? That costs a lot of money. Oh, you want this? Money doesn't grow on trees. Oh, more money, more problems. You just hear these stories, these statements around money, but you don't know what it is. So then you're just sort of like figuring it out, but you're not quite sure. And most of us, even as adults, are walking around in the back of our minds with these stories. Like my story was like, money makes you a bad person. And you can't be spiritual and have money because I would see, you know, I would find really, because whatever you're looking for, you will find. So I'd be like, oh, these super wealthy people are so corrupt and they do this and they do that. And, you know, to be simple and to be poor is to be a good person. And a lot of us are walking around with that story. And what's that? What's that? First, what's that saying to the universe that you don't need money? You don't want money. But secondly, you're your actions are not going to be aligned with that. So I do believe that you can have it all. You can do what you love. You can create impact in this world and you can be making whatever income it is that you choose that will allow you to live a life of freedom. And for some people that could be $50,000 a year. And for some people that could be $5 million a year. And that's going to be dependent on what you want. But I think that we just haven't opened our minds to that capacity yet because we haven't seen people who, who have done it. Most of our parents are working jobs for the sake of money. And a lot of them weren't afforded the, you know, the safety to really go, go to self-actualization, like with Maslow's hierarchy. If your needs are not met, you're not going to go to your wants. If your wants are not met, you're not going to go to self-actualization. So now, because there's no like massive war or genocide or something happening right here, right now for us, there are in other parts of the world, we are able to think about what truly fills me up. What is my purpose? And we're able to have that conversation. And then we're able to, because of the internet, learn ways to create online businesses where we create something that reaches a thousand people, 10,000 people. Like imagine if you had a room of a thousand people every time you spoke, like how insane would that be? A room of a thousand, but we're like, oh my God, my podcast only got a thousand downloads. No one likes me. Like, hello, it's a thousand people. Like that's insane. Like you don't need a big following from even a thousand Instagram followers. You can be making easily a six figure business easily, easily, easily. We are just not realizing it because we're just so busy comparing ourselves to people with a million followers. I have a lot of friends with millions of followers who are not making a penny off their social media because they haven't figured out how. So it's just opening your mind to that, realizing, learning about the avenues, do the coaching model, e-commerce model, network marketing model, and then aligning what it is you want to do with the model. So brilliant. I so agree with you that so many people just are so focused on growing the following that there's a disconnect between actually being honest with ourselves, what we want to do with it, what's the final vision for it, and what value we want to bring into people's lives and what's the product that we're going to end up selling. So thank you for that reminder. Are you ready for a quick round of rapid fire questions? All right. Yes. What's next for Sahara Rose? 
Yeah. So my book that I just finished writing the first draft of is looking at entrepreneurship from an Ayurvedic lens. So what type of entrepreneurs are vatas, pittas, katvas, how the business process can be related to that, and then also self-care and wellness to enhance your business and looking at the two as as simultaneous and, and connected. It's not one or the other. What's your favorite recipe from Eat, Feel, Fresh book? Ooh, I love the Surya smoothies. They are smoothies that are warming for the digestive fire. So they don't have frozen fruits and they have like spices like ginger and turmeric and they also have vegetables in them. So I just adore them. What is your favorite crystal? Mm, I love aquamarine because communication is a very large part of my life. I'm very attracted to the color blue. Like without planning it, like blue has become everything that I post. My entire book is shot in the blue city of Jodhpur. Like I just always want blue in my life. And I think that's related to my body feeling like I need to be around that color because it is the color of the throat chakra. What is the next place you want to travel to that you haven't been to yet? Yeah. So, well, my fiance and I are planning our honeymoon. So we're like, well, where, where do we go? So I was thinking like Tahiti, Fiji. He's like, that's so cliche. But honestly, I feel like if you're going to do it once, it's going to be your honeymoon. And I love snorkeling. So I'm down for that. He has like a beard and a mustache. So snorkeling gear like doesn't really work on him, but we're going to get him like the spacesuit masks or something, <laughs> or he can just stay above water. I'll be with the sharks. What was your first screen name? <laughs> It was Pina Colada 617, and I think I still have it and use it on Skype all the time. (laughs) What was your favorite computer game growing up? Oh, I was addicted to The Sims, especially Sims Hot Date. Hey! (laughs) I would make them play footsie. I would have them flirt with someone, and then the other person didn't like them. They'd slap them. Like, I was a freak. (laughs) I remember that so well. I loved Sims and Roller Coaster Tycoon. Oh my God, Roller Coaster Tycoon. I would go crazy on that and I would make this loop-de-loop mm. roller coaster and I would cut off the end so they would like fly off and then I would make a little lake so then they would fall into the lake so they could swim back to shore. So I scared them a little, but they were okay. Oh, you're a real strategist. <laughs> I thought I did all the tricks in the yes. game. <laughs> From day one. Yeah. What is the best thing that happened to you on social media? Mm, the best thing, I think the moment that... I made a video with Deepak and he posted on his Instagram. I was like, what the fuck? Because my whole life I've looked up to him so much that it was like, I can't believe this is happening right now. So I'll forever remember that Mm day. And what do you miss the most about growing up without social media? Oh, you know, having a life, you know, (laughs) like having good eyesight. That was pretty nice. You know, not having a headache. There's there's some things. (laughs) Yeah, just like, coming home after school and just being like, what am I going to do now? Like boredom, boredom is such a luxury. I feel like I don't have time or space to be bored because the moment I finish something, there's always something else to be done. I don't think there's ever a moment, especially as an entrepreneur that you're like, I'm done with everything. And I do think people have nine to fives. They do come home and they're like done. But I mean, I don't think I could ever live that life because I'm someone that wants to do things, but I do think it would be amazing to like literally like have no choice to not, but to not do anything and just play outside. Totally feel you. Oh gosh. My last question to you is what is making you feel woke? Woke. Hmm. What makes me feel woke is to question things because, you know, in everything we're just taught and we get our 
perceptions based off of what people around us are saying. So we are told right now, politically, everyone should feel like this. Right now, emotionally, everyone should feel like this. Right now, because of Libras and the new moon, because of this and that, everyone should feel confused. I don't know. And it's like we're constantly told how we're supposed to be feeling right now. And it's like, like, listen, yo, I don't want to feel like, I don't feel like that. And we're, we can do this in a spiritual way or we can do this in a super asleep way. And it's still the same thing. It's still going to what's everyone else doing? Oh yeah, that's how I feel too. And I think true, true being woke is to not check in with everyone else and see where they're at to assess where you're at. Hell yeah. What an amazing last thing to finish on. What an amazing conversation, Sahara. I'm so grateful for your realness. Oh, thank you. I'm so grateful for you asking these questions. It was fun. So what's the best way for everyone to connect with you? Yeah. So my Instagram is at I am Sahara Rose. If you heard me here on Woke and Wired, shoot me a DM. Would love to hear from you guys. My podcast is called Highest Self Podcast, where I explore these types of topics. And I have a new masterclass, Abundance Mindset Masterclass com where we're going to talk about different ways to create a business that you love that's also high vibe and conscious. Love it. Tara, thank you. I'll see you in New York soon. Yes, see you soon. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends, leave a review, and find all the show notes on wokeandwired.com and connect with me on Instagram at wokeandwired. Stay woke, stay wired, and have an incredible day.